We thank you that you were here before we got here. You welcomed us into this place. For the next few minutes, Holy Spirit, would you uh, speak very personally and uniquely to each one of us. Lift our eyes, our faith to what you have planned for us. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Here's a verse you all know, but it is still a very important verse to be reminded of, and it's kind of going to be a focus of what we're going to talk about this morning. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us. Stop for a second and think about a request you have to God. Just put it in your mind. What are you asking God for? You know what this verse says? Whatever you're asking God for, it's still too small. God still wants to do more than what you're asking God for. Why is it that we shortchange what God can do? You know, we know him, we love him, we follow him, and yet it's pretty obvious oftentimes, myself, yourself, we kind of shortchange what God can do. That's kind of what we're going to look at this morning. You see, one of the glorious things about Christianity, the truth about it, is that we don't have access to God unless God does something first. Imagine a line, and this line is the barrier between us and God. Religions exist for the purpose of getting people up to God. Whatever I can do to get to God, I will try to do, so there will be religious rituals I will go through. But the whole idea of religion is man trying to get to God. Christianity is exactly the opposite. Christianity is God trying to get to man. So whereas in religion, I want to get to God for the sake of control. If I can get to God, I can control God. Christianity is God wants to get to man for the sake of intimacy. He wants a relationship with you. So he comes down through this line and he breaks through the line. And he comes to us, what I call, below the line. We come to God because we have marriage problems or financial problems or an addiction or our life is empty. We turn to him and he comes down and he dies on the cross and he resurrects and he comes below the line to us. He meets us below the line. But sometimes we continue our life of faith below the line when the reality is part of the joy of what God has done was not just to come down below the line to meet us at our point of need, but to raise us up above the line. Colossians 3 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And what we're going to talk about this morning is are you living above the line or are you living below the line? Living below the line is part of what God does for us. He meets our needs. He comes down into our earth. He provides for our finances. He heals our bodies. But living above the line is a whole nother level of he can do immeasurably more than all I could ask or imagine. Because 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul wrote the church and he said, Live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, a lot of times we read this as, you know, be obedient and live a moral life. I don't think Paul is saying that. I think here's what he's saying. Live a life that reflects everything God has done for you and everything available in the kingdom of God. Live a life worthy of that kind of a calling. Live above the line. So we're going to look at a story. I want you to open your Bibles to John 11. It's a well-known story. 
But it's a story of Martha and Mary and Lazarus and Jesus. And Martha goes through a situation that many of us go through where there's a crisis in her life and she needs an answer from Jesus and she calls out to him. But this story shows us a, a contrast between what does it mean in a relationship with Christ to live below the line and what does it mean to live above the line. John 11, verse 1, here's the story. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. Notice for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Here's the situation with Martha. She faces what we oftentimes face, but she really is living below the line. She has this request, but the request will put her into a cycle that oftentimes you and I find ourselves with. There is this need that we have, like Martha had. And we bring that need to Jesus, and we have an expectation. The one you love is sick. Of course Jesus will heal Lazarus. Martha has seen Jesus heal sinners. He has seen him heal people who didn't even know him. Lazarus is a close friend, and there is this expectation, much like you and I have when we come to God with a prayer. Of course he's going to meet that need. But then Jesus doesn't quite show up, and Lazarus ends up dying. And expectation leads to disappointment. Why didn't God do what I thought for sure he would do? And with that disappointment comes a regret because when Jesus finally shows up, the story teaches us that Martha goes out and here's what she says, if only you would have been here. And like Martha, as Christians, we find ourselves saying those two words, if only. If only maybe I would have prayed harder. If only maybe last week I would have been a little more holy. And we find ourselves in this cycle of expectation to disappointment to regret, till we finally get to the place where Martha got to. When Jesus is about to do the miracle and he tells the people to roll the stone away, here's what Martha says. She says, no, don't do that. The body will smell. She has no real belief anymore that her brother is going to be raised. And here's the cycle. Expectation, disappointment, regret, and finally, despair. I know this cycle because I went through it I got a call many years ago from my dad that I never expected to get, when he said, Joel, I've been diagnosed with cancer. Expectation. Well, of course God will heal my dad. There's no doubt he'll heal my dad. Because my dad was a missionary in South Korea for 25 years. His entire life was given into the service of the Lord. He's probably one of the most righteous and holy people I've ever known. I've seen God heal the ugliest of sinners of cancer. He'll heal my dad. But weeks went on and the healing didn't immediately come. And soon expectation turned into disappointment. Why not? And disappointment turned into regret. I remember one time when my dad came home from the doctor and they were getting ready to do the chemo and the surgery. I remember thinking to myself literally this thought. Oh, last Tuesday I got so busy I really didn't pray for dad. If only I would have really prayed. I spent a week praying but I didn't fast. Maybe that was it. If only. And regret sets in. And if you're not careful, that regret can turn into a despair where even though God is bringing his miracle, you begin to lose hope in that. And I remember going through this process where my dad was healed. 
But I went through about three or four months where I finally got to a place where I had to say, God, you got to do something because I'm losing all sense of hope here. God will bring the answer to the prayer need that you have. But if you're living below the line, you can find yourself not living in a faith and a joy and a victory until that answer comes. And what happens is you basically just live from answer to answer with turmoil. Rather than a transformation because you don't have this kind of revelation. Jesus, on the other hand, contrasted to Martha, he's living above the line. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Seems weird, doesn't it? Your best friend, one of your closest friends, is sick, somebody you love, you can help them, but you decide not to go? What does Jesus do during these days? Well, the story at the end when he talks to the Father tells us that he begins to pray. He doesn't forget about it. He doesn't consider it not important. But he knows, listen, something amazing is going to happen to him. He who can do immeasurably more. Not just a physical miracle, but something amazing. And he begins to talk to the Father. Pray worthy of your calling. Pray above the line. Pray in a way that reflects the kingdom. You know what the difference is between praying below the line and praying above the line? When we pray below the line, we bring our need to God. That's not wrong, but that's below the line. When we pray above the line, we don't pray defined by our problem. We pray defined by the resources of the kingdom of God. We pray defined by the power of the kingdom of God. God is going to meet your need, and he tells us to bring our need. But that shouldn't just define our prayer. Praying above the line is knowing what the resources of God are and praying in that level of faith. Martha prays below the line. Because here's what normally happens in our life. We take care of our problems, and when we can no longer take care of our problems, then we begin to pray. But our prayer is defined by the problem. My son, when he was a junior high school kid, kind of lost his brain like all junior high school kids do. And he had done a really stupid thing, and I called him in, and I'm the dad, and I'm the authority, so I knew he would follow me because every 12-year-old boy obeys his dad, doesn't he? So I called him in, and I said, Josh, here's the three things you did wrong. Here's the three things you should do. Indifference, I'm the dad. I know what to do. Go, go do them. Honestly, never really prayed about it. Why? Because I can take care of it. Now my 12-year-old son went off, and he didn't do what I said. I couldn't believe it. He didn't obey his father. All of a sudden now I'm thinking, I don't really have the control and authority over this boy I thought I had. Now i got to begin to pray. But if I'm not careful, I will only pray defined by the problem, not defined by the resources and the authority of the kingdom of heaven. So many times as parents, when we pray for our children, we pray around the problem or the need. So a common prayer for a parent is, put people in my kid's life where he can know who Christ is. But maybe a prayer above the line is make my kid a Christian with such leadership that he will raise others up to know who Christ is. You see the difference between praying below the line and praying above the line to him who can do immeasurably more. Think of it when it comes to finances. Many of us in here have financial needs and we are praying, God, meet my need. There's nothing wrong with that. But to him who can do immeasurably more, that's praying below the line. Your prayer is defined by your problem. 
praying above the line, God, turn me into a generous giver. Make me a generous giver. Now, why is that above the line? Because when you are a giver, you are most like God. And to be a generous giver, he's got to take care of that problem anyways. One is a prayer defined by a problem. The other is a prayer defined by the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus does. He begins to pray a prayer above the line, not just about Lazarus' sickness, but about such a greater thing that God wants to do. Oftentimes, why God leads us to pray above the line is we don't oftentimes even know the answer below the line. We don't know the circumstances. True story, when I was pastoring, a, a man came to me, and we were kind of in an agricultural area in one of these churches, and he came to me and said, I'm a hobby farmer, I'm raising some animals, and there hasn't been any rain, and we need rain for our crops. Please pray that it'll rain. I can pray that. He needed rain for his crops. Three minutes later, same Sunday, after the service, another man comes to me in our church. He says, we've got 100 people coming for a family reunion this weekend. Please pray that it doesn't rain, that it's sunny. And I'm going... <laughs> Sometimes we don't know how to pray. When you pray below the line, your prayer is defined by your problem. Martha, when you pray above the line, your prayer is defined by the resources and the glory and the power of the kingdom of heaven. God is knowledgeable of your problem. He's bringing an answer to your problem. But he says, rise up above the line. Now, finally, Jesus decides to go to Bethany where Martha is. Look at verse 7. So then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you are going back? It's an interesting story because the disciples don't want him to go back. They're afraid he's going to be killed. So they're saying, no, don't go there. Martha wants him to go there immediately because she was afraid that her brother would die. Everybody's got their opinion about the timing of Jesus. Some of us want him quick. Some of us say, no, don't do it this. We all have our opinion about the timing. But Jesus knows what is the accurate timing for what he wants to bring. Some of you here this morning have an idea around the timing. Living above the line sometimes is saying, Lord, I am giving your timing to you because there's something greater you want to show me. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesians, and he wrote this in chapter 1, verse 17. He says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You see, both the disciples and Martha define the timing by their need. Jesus defines his timing by the revelation he's going to give. He's going to meet the need. Lazarus will be well. But even beyond that, he wants to give a revelation to Martha and Mary and all those people and the disciples that won't just meet a need, it'll change the direction of their life forever. You see, when you live below the line, and we've got to talk honestly about this, our predominant definition of our relationship with God is based upon the solution that we need. But oftentimes when that drives it, we don't ever really get to know him better. We just get our problem fixed. And it's short term. It's short lived. If you read John chapter 12, you know what you discover? The religious leaders, they're out to kill Lazarus again. He gets resurrected, but he's going to die again. And we have to say, wow, God is so good that he wants to meet all of my needs. He wants to provide for me. He wants to heal my body. He wants to meet the needs that I have. But even greater than that, 
He wants to reveal himself to me. He wants to show me what is available, so much more that is available. And this is what Jesus is going to do. So he shows up. Look at verse 17. Here's what he does. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So picture this. Lots of people. And at a Jewish funeral, there would be incredible mourning and weeping. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now Martha doesn't quite understand what he's saying. She's thinking of it in terms of kind of greater spiritual truth. She said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He wants to change her thinking. He wants to raise her faith. He's not just going to go and do a tangible miracle without seeing the transformation of Martha and Mary and the disciples. So he comes in and he says, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. I want to show you myself. Whatever problem you are going through now, whatever crisis you have, which is incredibly important and real to you, so it's important and real to God, along with bringing your miracle, he wants to bring you himself. He wants to take advantage of this kind of a situation where he will meet your need, but he wants you to live above the line where it's not just him meeting your need, but there's a greater revelation of who he is in your life. It almost gets to the place where you're grateful that he has met your need, but it's not enough. Because you want him in your life. I remember I had gone through uh, this illness with my dad. And for the first couple of months, all I could focus on was my dad getting well. And there was no revelation of Jesus. God was going to heal my dad, and he did. But I missed out on this opportunity in those first few months to get such a revelation of faith and hope and unity in the body of Christ. My dad had it. I didn't have it. Why? I was living below the line, living above the line as you pray the resources of the kingdom of heaven, living above the line as you go through, in, through life and even through the hardship, saying, God, show yourself to me while you are answering my prayer. You discover Jesus, this spirit of revelation. You're grateful for the solution, but it's not enough. Here's what Jesus does to show this revelation. He comes to the funeral. He's going to give a miracle, but he does the strangest thing. Instead of going to the tomb and doing the miracle, he stops. He goes to where the mourners are at, and they're weeping and wailing. Do you know what he does? He cries. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. You ever wonder why? Now think of this. He's going into this knowing he's going to do a miracle. He's going to take a funeral and turn it into a massive celebration. If I was Jesus and I came into that kind of a situation and I know in a few minutes this miracle is going to blow their minds and they're going to have the world's greatest party. It would take every ounce of energy in me not to have this smile on my face. 
I know something you don't know. He walks in and he weeps. Why? He's not faking it. But there's a profound spiritual truth for them and for us. God is so connected. Jesus, as Aaron said, is so connected to your pain, to your hardship, that even though he knows he's bringing the miracle, he weeps with you. When you go to bed tonight and you're crying over that child who's gone off the rails, Jesus is crying with you. When you're feeling the, the pain of an illness and it creates tears, Jesus is weeping with you. He's bringing your miracle because he is a miracle-working God. But while he's doing that, he is weeping with you. This is the revelation of a God who can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. We have this Lord who, though he's bringing our miracle, is weeping over us. And it gives us a hope and a faith and a confidence that he knows us so well and is so intimately connected to us that every time I cry, he cries. Many of you know that one of our children, Josh, we adopted when he was older. He came to us when he was five years old. And when he first came, he had a really rough time because he had, you know, been in another situation for five years, and now he was with this completely foreign family. And I remember walking past his room the first couple of weeks he was there, and oftentimes I would hear this five-year-old boy crying at nighttime, just terrorized by not knowing what his life was and where he was. And it would break my heart as a father. Finally, one night I walked past, and sure enough, I heard him crying. And I just, I walked into his room, and I sat in his bed. We barely knew each other. And I took Josh and I, I held him in my hands, this five-year-old boy. And his eyes were closed and he was crying and I just began to weep. I was a dad feeling what my adopted son was going through. And I just began to weep. And I remember at that moment, Josh kind of opened his eyes and he looked at me and he saw his dad crying. And something changed that night. A few days later, Josh had always been so perfect as a son when he first came to us, but he wasn't perfect because he was obedient or respected or honored us or because it was good. He was perfect because he was so afraid of being kicked out of yet another home. So it was fear that caused his perfection. A few days later, we were at the mall and I went to get him lunch and I went to McDonald's and got him some lunch and he asked for some big fries and I said, Josh, you can just have some medium fries, no big deal. And I got to the table and I set up the medium fries for him and he looked at me and kind of with a scowl he took his hand and he knocked over the medium fries. Now most parents would think that that's a horrible thing to do. But knowing the history of Josh and knowing how he was perfect because of fear, the moment he knocked over those fries, I just began to weep. I began to go, yes, yes. My wife was doing like cartwheels of joy. I set the fries up again, knock it over again, knock it over again. Because for the first time in his life, I knew Josh felt safe enough that he could rebel and not worry about being kicked out of a house. That's love. That's what love does. Jesus wants to show Mary, Martha, the disciples, you and me, how much more love is available in the kingdom of heaven for you. There's a miracle coming. Whatever your need is, he's bringing it. 
But beyond that miracle, he is bringing this immense love for you, a revelation of who he is. Don't just live below the line where everything is defined by the solution to your problem. Live above the line where you say, Lord, I believe you are the revelation of life. Show me your love. Show me who you are. So that when the miracle comes, I'll be grateful for it. But who I've discovered you to be and the love you have for me and the fact that you weep with me will be even so much greater. Jesus begins by praying. You live a love above the line when you pray based upon the kingdom of God, not just your problem. Then he comes, but before he brings the miracle, he brings a revelation of who he is. He weeps with them, wanting them to know there is so much more love, so much more revelation of who he is than just the answer to a need. Because if he's just the answer to a need, that will only sustain us until we have another need. But when he is above that, we know he brings the need, but there's so much more that we get from him. Now it's time for the miracle. Look at verse 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus comes to the tomb, and he's going to do a miracle, but he makes this very important statement. He says, God, I know you are at work here so that others may believe. And what he is saying is this, living above the line means that we look at our life and no matter what the situation is and no matter what's going on, we see it as an opportunity for a greater purpose in God's kingdom. That God can use any event in my life that will help and benefit others. So Jesus is going to do a miracle for Lazarus, but he also recognizes there's a lot more going on here for God's kingdom. Think of it, if I told you a story about a miracle with a man in a tomb for three days, and the question, where have you laid him, and the stone being rolled away, we would all think about Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's what John wants to make this parallel to. There's something far greater going here. There's a bigger story being told, and there's a bigger story being told with your life. Sometimes, understandably, it's easy to get caught up in our own life, and our own world, and our own problem, and we're living below the line. To him who can do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine means that you look at your situation and you say, I may not understand it all, but you know what? God can use this for a greater good in his kingdom. Because that's who he is. There is a greater purpose to my life. Just like there's a greater love for what God wants to show me in himself through Christ, there is a greater purpose to my life. I remember going to visit my dad in the hospital when he was getting his treatment. And you know, if you've had a family member or a friend who goes through cancer treatment, it's a, it's a pretty ugly scene. Sometimes they're a bit gaunt, and you know, you head on the hospital robe, and he's got the, the thing that you carry with the IV that you walk around, and I came onto the floor, and I saw my dad walking like that, and he, but he walked into a room, but it, it wasn't his room, which I thought was weird. Why was my dad walking into somebody else's room? And while I was thinking about this question, the head nurse of the floor came to me, and she said, are you his son? And I said, yeah, I'm his son. And she said, wow, we are so blessed to have your dad here, which is kind of a funky thing to say when you're talking about a cancer ward. I said, what? He said, you know, she said, you know, you can imagine how on a place like this there is a lot of despair, a lot of hopelessness, a lot of pain. 
She said, since your dad has been here, even though he's a cancer patient, as often as he can, he goes room to room. And he sits with other patients and he opens up the Bible and he shows them verses on healing and God's power. He prays with them. And then he goes to the next room and he encourages them and he blesses them and he prays with them. He's, she said, our floor has never had such hope, such faith. She said, it's never been like this before. And it dawned on me. My dad was not a cancer patient. He was a missionary to cancer patients. God had set him up for this so that a greater purpose, so that others may believe, Jesus says. This is what he's got for you. To live above the line means I look at a situation I'm going through, and it may be a difficult situation. It may be a job situation. It may be a family situation. But to live above the line says, no, there is a greater purpose in God's kingdom that he will work through this situation. There's a greater plan that he's got. Because God never wastes a hurt or a pain. Live life worthy of the calling. And this story of Lazarus and Jesus gives me such incredible hope when I pin the story against Ephesians 3. God is able to do immeasurably more. When there are times when I feel like I've got situations that are choking me, and my prayer life becomes defined by them. No. I get to pray based upon the resources and the power of the kingdom of heaven. My prayer is not defined by my problem. When there are times when the problem becomes so overwhelming for me, the circumstances does. If I live above the line, it means I know God will answer my problem, but he's going to show me himself. And I will get a revelation of Jesus that will carry me for years to come while he fixes the problem. I know that even though there are these circumstances that I would like to be resolved, I know and I have this faith that there's a greater story being told. There's a greater purpose in the kingdom of God so that others may believe. Listen to this verse again. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Not on earthly things. If it's alright with you, I'd like to end this part of the service by praying for you. By asking God to do the miracle that he wants to do of lifting us above the line. You see, you can be a Christ follower below the line. God loves you, he cares for you, he came down the line, and you can go through life below the line, but there is a God who wants to do immeasurably more. Some of you here this morning may need an immeasurably more God when it comes to his power, the prayer of the resources of the kingdom of heaven. Some of you may need an immeasurably more God when it comes to his love and his revelation, you need to discover a Jesus who is crying with you. Because in that love, there is such healing. Maybe some of you need to discover that God of a greater purpose so that others would believe that whatever you're going through, whatever situation it is, the solution is not just defined by that situation but it's how God can use it 
for his kingdom and for others. I'm going to ask everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes. God is so good. I'm going to ask him to do a very simple yet supernatural miracle. That this God who can do immeasurably more, that he would show you a greater kingdom power, a greater love and intimacy, or a greater purpose. If you're here and you'd say, Joel, I need to, I need to discover this immeasurably more God. I want to live above the line, not below the line. Again, it's not a question of your salvation. It's a question of a life of victory. I'd consider it a privilege if you would let me pray for you. I'd say, Joel, just pray that God, by his spirit, would lift me above the line in my faith and my prayer. Would you just lift your hand wherever you're seated? Just hold it up. Oh, Jesus. Lord Jesus, you see all these hands. Your children, we love you. We are so grateful that you chose to come down below the line through Christ on the cross and resurrection and meet us at our point of need. We are so grateful that you care about every detail, the food on our table, the health in our bodies. But Lord, this morning we are even more grateful that you raise us up above the line. You see all these hands that your children have lifted to you, Lord. Some of them, Lord, they need a revelation of the kingdom power and resources. Holy Spirit, would you, as they pray during this next week, would you bring to mind praying above the line? Would they pray greater prayers of faith and hope based upon who you are and what is available based upon your calling? Lord, some of the people who raise their hand, they, they need a just a greater sense of intimacy and love. Lord, I pray that today or tomorrow, this week as we come to you and our hearts are full of tears, first and foremost, we would see a loving Savior who is crying with us. Lord, we are so grateful that you are so intimately connected to us. You love us so much that even though you're bringing your miracle, you cry with us. Lord, for those who just need to know your love, your revelation of this immeasurably more God, would you show it to them? Even right now, let them sense a God who weeps over them, Lord God. And Lord, for those who raise their hand, looking for that greater purpose. God, we want our lives not to be defined just by our ease and our problems being solved, Lord God. But you have put us on this earth that we would be salt and light, that others would believe they would be impacted, that your grace, your love, your forgiveness would flow through us and through the circumstances of our life, Lord God. 
Lord, I thank you for the courage of those who raise their hand, who want to rise above the line and not just be focused on their own issues. Would you give them, Lord, a, a peek inside your greater purpose, how their children and their family, how their coworkers can be impacted by their life as they live out their situations in faith, Lord God. We thank you that you are a God who does immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine by your power in us. This morning, Lord, we celebrate the fact that you came down below the line to reach us. And we worship you, that you lift us above the line, that we can live lives of victory and hope every day as you meet our needs. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus.